Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening today. As always, go check out reallifepharmacology.com. We've got the free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. That's a no-brainer. Simply an email will get you access to that. Uh, do that at reallifepharmacology.com. Also, uh, Flippin' Pharmacology Flashcards, new product just put out. Uh, you can find that on Amazon. So great way to support this podcast, help keep it free uh, and available for all those to uh, benefit from. So again, Flippin' Pharmacology Flashcards, uh, you can go check those out on Amazon. All right, let's get into the drug of the day today, and that is Xenotide. Brand name of this medication is Bieta or Bidurium. Now, if you haven't been in practice really long or you're a student, you're probably not terribly familiar with Bieta or you've probably never seen it. Uh, I can tell you from my experience, I can't recall the last time I've seen Bieta, um, but I did see it several years ago. So, uh, long story short, the big issue with Bieta is dosing. So, Bieta is actually a sub-Q injection twice a day. So, as you could imagine, uh, comparing that to Bidurion and some of the other GLP-1 agonists, uh, that's that's a problem and a patient issue where they have to give an injection twice a day versus uh, where they can give an injection just once weekly. So uh, just a little background on, on Bieta, five micrograms twice a day uh, can go up to one microgram twice a day after a month. The other issue is that dose actually has to be given within 60 minutes or 60 minutes prior to uh, morning and or evening meals. So basically we want at least six hours apart with those dosages and prior to the meal. So again, this medication is effective at lowering blood sugar, but from a patient administration uh, perspective, uh, it's an issue. So that is why Bidurion was developed. And so this is a once weekly form of exenatide. Obviously a lot more patient friendly. They don't have to dose it around meals. They don't have to inject themselves twice a day. And so you can understand why Bieta, the immediate release twice daily product, has really fallen out of favor and, and gone away. Uh, so a little bit about Bidurion, sub-Q administration, usual dose, 2 milligrams per week. Uh, manufacturer recommendations are uh, that it shouldn't be used in patients with a creatinine clearance of less than 30 mils per minute. So that is kind of one downside against it, I guess, uh, compared to some of the other GLP-1 agonists. Uh, in in the uh, class of that medication there. Uh, quick reminder, GLP-1 agonists, so what, what do they do? How do they work? So GLP-1 agonists essentially mimic uh, incretin, which is a hormone produced in the body. And incretin has effects uh, that help increase glucose-dependent insulin secretion. So when your body senses that blood sugar is higher, typically after you've eaten, your body's going to naturally reduce, or excuse me, release insulin. 
and GLP-1 agonists like exenatide can facilitate and help with that glucose-dependent uh, secretion of insulin. Uh, in addition, it can also reduce uh, inappropriate glucagon excretion and uh, also can slow gastric emptying. So if you remember some of the GLP-1 agonists or tirzepatide I, I covered somewhat recently, uh, that's slowing the gastric emptying. Uh, that can also help with reduction of appetite. And some of these agents uh, are more beneficial than, than others, at least in the literature, uh, as far as, as weight reduction. But they all uh, can potentially reduce that appetite a little bit and ultimately reduce weight as well there. Uh, a couple of kinetics things I wanted to mention. Uh, Half-Life uh, 2.4 hours for the immediate release. Again, that's the Bietta product. Uh, with the Bidurion, uh, the extended release product, the half-life of this medication is two weeks. So it makes sense that we can dose it once a week and obviously get by with that because the uh, half-life is so much longer there. Uh, the only indication that exenatide is used for is diabetes. It is not indicated for weight loss, uh, at least FDA indicated for weight loss. Now, it may have some weight negative effects, but it, it truly is not approved, FDA approved for weight management. And if you're using a GLP-1 for weight management, you're probably going to use the ones that definitely have a little bit more uh, robust data behind them, uh, like terzepatide or semaglutide, for example. Now, terzepatide isn't a true uh, just GLP-1 agonist, uh, but it kind of gets lumped in with uh, these this class of medications. All right, adverse drug reactions. So if we think about mechanistically uh, how this medication works, it slows down the gut, it reduces appetite. Uh, naturally, we've got potential for some nausea and stomach upset, and that's going to be the most prominent adverse effect from this entire class and exenatide is included in that. Uh, other GI effects can happen as well. Uh, diarrhea, for example. Uh, vomiting can happen if that nausea is severe enough. Lowers blood sugar. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, there is a potential that it can contribute to some hypoglycemia. Now, it is not uh, to the extent that insulin or sulfonylureas would cause hypoglycemia. Uh, so it's it's pretty rare or not usually not a big deal uh, for patients. We usually don't run into too much hypoglycemia with using a GLP-1 agonist alone. But I'll talk a little bit that, about that in drug interactions as well. Uh, pancreatitis has kind of been a, a controversial one. So patients with a history of pancreatitis uh, you're going to want to review that medical history and basically do a risk versus benefit of uh, what other options do we have other than GOP-1 agonists and or what was pancreatitis from, um, what was it caused by previously in this patient, and is that still a concern and could adding another drug, uh, another you know risk factor on top of that, is that going to be an issue? Uh, so in patients where I've had to look at GLP-1 agonists, I know I've basically taken it on a uh, 
case-by-case um, -case basis and tried to review the past history. If they've had multiple episodes of pancreatitis, that might be a situation where I'm leaning towards no um, in using a, a GOP-1 agonist. Um, again, I'm going to weigh that with, okay, what else, what other options do we have? Can we use an SGLT2 inhibitor, another diabetes medication? Um, so again, a lot of clinical judgment there, um, but pay attention uh, to patients that have recently started it and or somebody that's maybe developed pancreatitis out of nowhere. Uh, make sure that we're looking at that medication list and uh, assessing if we feel uh, that it might be from a GLP-1 agonist like exenatide. And then, of course, we've got that boxed warning for specific thyroid tumors. Animal studies have shown that there was an increased risk in certain tumors. So that's something to definitely um, pay attention to if you're going to start one of these uh, in, a, in a patient there. Uh, careful. Uh, so a lot of patients with diabetes have gastroparesis or can't, or a significant amount, maybe not a lot, but a significant number of patients may develop gastroparesis from their diabetes. So again, that's kind of that slowing of the gut, causing uh, stomach issues, that type of thing. Uh, if you see patients on metoclopramide, erythromycin, um, those are patients that I would definitely be a little bit more careful in using a GLP-1 on. Again, GLP-1s are going to slow that gut down, so it could kind of counteract any uh, beneficial effects from a prokinetic agent that's really stimulating and getting the movement of the gut going. Um, adding a GLP-1 uh, agonist might kind of oppose that effect. So um, Definitely be a little bit uh, careful and cognizant of the fact uh, if a patient's got gastroparesis and that GLP-1 agonist could potentially worsen that. Uh, monitoring parameters, A1C is obviously going to be a, a no-brainer. Uh, weight is always something good. We're going to probably monitor in type 2 patients, uh, type 2 diabetes patients anyway. Uh, renal function, again, use is not recommended, according to the manufacturer, in um, uh, EGFR, creatinine clearance, uh, less than 30. So uh, pay attention to that as well as far as monitoring goes. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll wrap up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for any pharmacist board certification study materials like BCPS, ambulatory care, medication therapy management, geriatrics, NAPLEX exam, uh, go check out meded101.com slash store. We've got a growing list of resources there uh, that can definitely help you prepare and pass your exam. I've also recently gotten some really nice reviews on the Flippin' Pharmacology flashcards. You can find those on Amazon. Those will be a great resource for anyone who has to take pharmacology classes, board exams. Uh, we've really, I think, done a nice job of summarizing some of the most important clinical uh, as well as testable information you're going to come across when it comes to pharmacology. So, again, you can find those on Amazon, Flippin' Pharmacology flashcards. All right, wrapping up with drug interactions. So, with exenatide, we don't have to worry about SIP enzymes. That's fantastic. One less thing we've got to worry about there. Uh, as it pertains uh, to drug interactions, I, I generally think about, you know, counteracting effects or additive effects. So we add, if we add exenatide to a patient taking esophonuria, taking insulin, that's going to increase your risk 
for hypoglycemia. I think that's probably kind of a no-brainer, um, but we may need to back off on dosages of some of those other medications if we uh, add a medication like exenatide or at least pay attention to those blood sugars. On the opposite side of the spectrum, we've got plenty of meds that can raise blood sugars. So corticosteroids like prednisone, uh, thiazide diuretics rarely can increase blood sugars. Uh, those are a couple examples, but obviously they can oppose any beneficial effects that you might see uh, from exenatide. And then gut slowing medications uh, and opposing or adding to that effect uh, that might be an issue. So medications that are prokinetic, that may help with gastroparesis symptoms, exenatide may potentially counteract that or make that effect worse. So um, for example, metoclopramide I mentioned earlier, prokinetic agent, uh, exenatide may kind of cause the opposite effect and basically blunt the effectiveness of metoclopramide in gastroparesis, gastroparesis management. So important to remember that. Also, if we know there are other medications that slow down the gut, that may actually have an additive effect to exenatide. So classic example being medications with anticholinergic effects. Uh, they may slow down the gut and have an additive type effect to exenatide. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the podcast for today. If you enjoyed this episode, found it helpful, please leave us a rating review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, snag your free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. That's a no-brainer. Go to reallifepharmacology.com, subscribe by email, and uh, you'll get that sent to you uh, as soon as your subscription's confirmed. Simply an email will get you access there. We don't ask for any other info or anything like that. Also, we'll get you updates when there's new podcast of episodes available. Uh, and then, of course, I've got some really nice ratings and reviews on the Flippin' Pharmacology flashcards. If you enjoy this podcast, want to support it, um, great gift for students or anyone going through pharmacology courses. Um, again, Flippin' Pharmacology flashcards, and you can find those on Amazon. Any questions, comments, feel free to shoot me a message, mededucation101 at gmail.com, uh, or you can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCPS, BCGP. With that, I'm going to sign off. I thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.